Podcasts are an independent way for podcasters like me to bring a local voice to your ears. At the Spent the Rent Podcast, we strive to raise awareness of topics that affect the often underrepresented. Our title sponsor, Oregon Cashflow Pro, offers free money management advice that can help you take control of your finances. At OregonCashflowPro.com, you will find videos to guide you towards your goal of financial freedom. For more info, there will be a link in the show notes. The following podcast is available on all major streaming sites, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. You can now listen to all previous episodes, donate to the podcast, and buy shirts directly from the Spent the Rent podcast at our newly designed official website, strpod.com. Welcome to the Spent the Rent Podcast. I am your host, Patty Rose. Today, we will be talking about a week for the history books with my special guest, Thomas Hira. Thomas, What's welcome up? to the show. Thomas, uh, this is, I think, the third time you've been on the show. You and I have become really close friends behind the scenes. You've been super supportive. You are the host of your own podcast, Broken Class with Thomas Hira. And... Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I had you back on in a short window. You were on November 7th and mm. we did an episode about the election recap. And because of this last week was kind of the end of the 2020 election officially with the Georgia runoffs. I felt like we could finish the job. You know, you know, we, we had we had some discussions. We weren't really sure the full direction of the balance of power at that time. And so yeah. I wanted to have you back on so that we could discuss what we see is going to happen moving forward. Now that Absolutely. was Absolutely. And was Tuesday. You, yeah, it was. That was before uh things really hit the fan, although it the the writing was on the wall in terms of some very serious and almost certainly violent stuff to occur on Wednesday at the nation's capital. Um, you did mention we've become quite good friends and I think that what that really in the brass tacks of things means is that uh, we have been able to use one another to just like DM and process wild things that have constantly been occurring in the recent ether. Um, so it's, it's, uh, I'm grateful to be back on the show to discuss what really needs to be discussed and uh, properly understood, um, you know, in terms of a really historic and tragic moment in American history. Yeah. And the irony of this whole situation is we've never been in the same room. And I have no idea, I have no idea how tall you are. So I'm gonna four ten. Perfect. No, <laughs> so now talking about DMs and and you know the community in Lane County, I wanna say one thing that I'm super grateful for that I didn't know could poss- be possible from this podcast is some of the people that I've networked with, some people you've kind of given me leads and some people vice versa. Uh, it's really cool when on election nights that I'm getting text messages from people on city council in Springfield and I'm getting text messages from people like you who ran for office. And I just think two years ago, I started this thing from scratch with not, with just like, what am I going to do? And I'm, I'm pretty freaking proud of it, you know, to be honest. So I just wanted to say that it's pretty you fun. Absolutely should be. It's made a lot of inroads in terms of something I care about deeply, yeah, especially really- in the, um, in the local journalism across the country is really struggling. And, um, you know, we're seeing uh, lots of 
relics of that here. Um, just a quick example, Register Guard is no longer going to print their papers yeah. in Eugene, yeah. um, out having to outsource it to Vancouver, Washington. And anyway, just the point being that people should be well informed by um, people who care about their communities and are close with their communities and are doing a, a real effort to um, spread information. So I commend you for that. For I'm, sure. I'm definitely always hesitant, and I say this a lot, to call myself a journalist because I want people to, what I'm trying to do is kind of spark the conversation. I want people to kind of do their own research. And th I know that can be dangerous and we're going to get into that. Mm. Uh, but anyway, we have so much to talk about. So let's get to it. Uh, we're going to start with Tuesday, the, the Georgia runoff. You know, this was huge. Uh, one of the things I want to talk about and and you can actually explain this a little bit because it happened in your situation now. Now, a mayor's race and a Senate race, the rules are completely different, for one. Uh, mayor's race is supposed to be nonpartisan. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah, so it's a, it's a nonpartisan seat. So the, you know, the way the primary process works and all that is a little different than a Senate race. And then each state has their own laws. Before we get into the results... Uh, I had a couple of people asking questions. Shout out to Matthew Hewlett, one of my spider sponsors from Hewlett Artistry. He had a question about uh, why are we doing this? <laughs> like, why are we doing the the Georgia runoff on Tuesday? Which I think is a very valid question because there's a lot of people that just don't understand the process because it's wonky and confusing. I've done an episode about this in the past with Sarah Wolf about the difference between plurality voting versus majority voting. And in the Georgia runoff, there was multiple candidates in, in each race. This is the way that I've understood it. And it, and uh, Georgia state law requires a plur, uh, plurality. So a majority would be if you get just the most votes. Mm -hmm. a, a plurality would be if you get 51%. Is that correct? That's actually, I believe you flipped it. Uh, did I flip it? it was, yes. A plurality is the greatest total. So it could even be 20% in a huge jungle primary, but could be 49%. The plurality is the person who finishes with the most votes in the pool. Okay. A majority is fifth, like one vote more than 50%. Okay. I got it backwards. Yeah. Right. See, this is, I don't even know. It doesn't even have to be 51%. It could be 50.001%. You know, that is a majority. Right. And then a lot of times, you know, if something is within uh, 0.5%, then it can go to an automatic recount, you know, or, you know, if they ask for it or whatnot. So, so yeah. So the runoff, was because the elections were so close. No one got the plurality. And so the majority, uh, the majority, no 50%. Correct. Sure. Okay. That was especially true in the Warnock, uh, Reverend uh, Warnock versus Kelly Leffler race, where they had a huge number of candidates. Warnock finished in first in that race. Um, but it was really unsure how it would go when it was just down to uh, a sitting U S Senator rep Republican versus this, um, this pastor who had never run for office before. Um, whereas John Ossoff did not finish first in his race against David Perdue and later was able to close that gap. Yeah. And, and as a 33 year old candidate, John Ossoff was young, new to the scene, you know, Perdue, uh, has a family history in politics. And so it's name recognition was there. So that was sometimes having a little bit more time. I know in yeah, a guy who's a guy whose dad was, had been the governor of the state. So a very well-known name lost to a person who was a documentary filmmaker. Like, yeah, that's yeah. very exciting to me because I love movies. <laughs> well, yeah. And then, you know, uh, just seeing representation too. Warnock being obviously African-American reverend, uh, Ossoff being Jewish, you know, I mean, it's, it's a pretty big deal. Now, you know, we we're talking, I was going to say real quick about uh, late momentum in, in races. 
we might not even be as hyper focused on this if Mitch McConnell would have lost Kentucky because I mean because he's someone that will wield that power very you know with an iron fist but he you know uh, Booker in that race he was making momentum in the in the primary and there was just a little bit too little too late to unseat the you know the the favorite in that and then she just didn't have enough Amy McGrath didn't have enough to yeah. unseat Mitch McConnell. So, so these things, I mean, sometimes it's like the best momentum a candidate gets at the, is at the very, very tail end, you know, of the race. And it's just unfortunate when people are like, man, I wish I would have known about that person, but sometimes the getting that, that name recognition, we see it with Stacey Abrams. I think Stacey I, Abrams, what, go ahead. Yeah. I know you said that we have a lot to cover and we do, and I'm happy to do that, but that's such an interesting race that you brought up. I didn't expect to think, think about really was, you know, Amy McGrath had run before um, for something. Uh, and uh, she, I believe that's true. It could be wrong, but, but she had basically had this national infrastructure of a lot of donation from all around the country. And um, honestly, the tack that she sort of chose to run uh, in many ways was uh, pro Trump anti Mitch McConnell, um, strategizing in, in Kentucky to try to win statewide was to to point out the ways in which she didn't feel McConnell had honored Trump's agenda or had stood in his way in, in, in situations. And and uh, Charles Booker had run a very unabashedly progressive wing sort of campaign. Um, I was kind of glad to see Andrew Yang was really supporting it, but um, really being out there for uh, Medicare for All, a Green New Deal, and those kinds of um, young and very ardently progressive left policies um and the bummer was that you know a lot of down to november you know a lot of people would continue to donate from across the country but amy mcgrath's problem uh was not a lack of money you know she had no. a plethora of money it, it, you know we could go down go into what the issues were with her getting elected she, i thought she smoked mcconnell in the debate though i got to give her props for that just like i thought jamie harrison smoked lindsey graham in the South yeah, Carolina those Senate races, race, those two uh, races, Jamie Harrison, I was so bummed because you can just from everything I've seen of Jamie Harrison, the character and Jamie Harrison was running against Mitch McConnell in South Carolina. So if you're not for Lindsey Graham, correct? Yeah. What did I say? Mitch McConnell. It's okay. Everyone's running <laughs> Mitch McConnell. Lindsay well, I Graham. think this speaks to the fact I don't want to talk over you too much. I apologize, but it no, speaks to the fact that the House and the Senate. Our U.S. Congress are such seniority-based institutions that the incumbent can really make a compelling and convincing argument to their constituents that, you know what, you might really like this person. You might think they're young. They they, they really have a fresh face and they, they are interested in the policies that you are most idealistic about. However, look at how much power I have in this institution. Look at how much respect I have for my colleagues, which is relationships it takes a while to earn. Look at how I have literally, you know, become a, a ranking member or a committee leader in positions where I'm sorry, but if you get this person in, they're going to take 10 years, 20 years to get to the power I have now. So it's a difficult situation to, um, to get those kinds of insurgent candidates in there. Yeah. And I mean, in Georgia, I feel like the Democratic Party did the right thing. I don't know exactly how that works as far as the candidates deciding to run or the motivation or the support they get from the party, you know, because what we saw in Kentucky with Amy McGrath is that the party was so behind her right off the bat. I was seeing Facebook ads a year before the election. I live in Oregon. You know, I'm seeing ads for the Kentucky race. I donated five dollars, you know, you know, at one point I got mail. 
I got mail from Amy. And so they were just, they were flooding it. They were putting so much money into it. And I understand why, because Mitch McConnell has so much power in the Senate being the Senate majority leader. He he has so many bills that have been brought to his desk that he would never even consider allowing a vote on, which I mean, it's disgusting. We do have a ton to cover. So the Georgia runoff, the fact that Raphael Warnock and John Ossoff won means that now we have a 50-50 split in the Senate. Kamala Harris, as the the incoming vice president, will make all uh, deciding votes, you know, for tie votes. And so we're going to actually see a Democratic government. You know, we're going to actually see, uh, you know, the Democrats running things at least for two years. I know Warnock's seat because it was it's only two years. For in yes. Georgia, he has to rerun because it yes. was. Do you? Do you? I hate to admit this. I do not know why the seat was vacant. Do you know? Uh, traditionally, um, a U.S. senator's term is six years, so that's huge, right? So basically, one time you run in a presidential year, the next time you run in a midterm year in between a presidential term, etc. And Kelly Leffler had been appointed by Brian Kemp, the governor, who actually believed that she would do well in the suburbs when she would have to run for the remainder of the term uh, in 2020. But basically, um, a, a seat had opened up there uh, and he appointed her um, because that's what a governor is allowed to do under our rules. Um, and this the term would end in 2022. It's still going to end in 2022, but uh, it's Mr. Warnock who will be able to serve that term. Very exciting for a whole number of reasons. I mean, the current pastor of uh, pastor of Ebenezer Baptist Church where Dr. Martin Luther King um, came to such prominence and also um let's let's talk about representation, right? Like people might not particularly realize how rare it is for an uh, an African American leader to be elected to the United States Senate. Still, there he's like absolutely. You got basically Obama uh, Cory Booker, Kamala Harris, and the first woman to, to do it was Carol Mosley Braun, and then like three other people who have Tim ever been Scott, elected. Tim Scott, right? I mean, Tim, Tim Scott. Scott. Yep, absolutely. From also from South Carolina, and um, so there have been a few who were like who made it into the Senate without having been elected, like in the 1800s. But I looked at the list on Wikipedia, and it's just a short list, yeah. and you got a hundred people there all the time. So it's it's just you know I I know that not everybody. Maybe hopefully people listen to this who do not think I'm not I'm not promoting their view because I don't believe in it. But hopefully you have a wide enough span of audience where you where some people are very excited about diversity and representation. And some people are a little more skeptical of just being excited about a person based specifically on their identity and wanting more to see that their policies and their their background is in line with what the person wants to be once fought for. Um, but, you know, that that we should get to a point where it's a, it's a real representative sample of the, of the country. So Absolutely. I'm very excited. You, you and I have talked about this quite a bit about uh, just representation and you telling me just about television growing up when you would see Asian Americans or Asians in general in scene, you know, Asian Americans mostly because American shows for American audiences, but there was kids that were of Asian descent. You said it meant a lot to you, you know, and then it was like, Oh my God. And you know, you know, and so that it's just when you don't, see that you don't feel like you how you you feel like you live on an island you know or whatever you're like i don't you know i just don't yeah. I, maybe i'm not like everybody else you know and so the representation really is huge i did mention, we're talking you know, about the same state where stacy abrams almost became the first black woman to ever be the governor of a u.s state it does not happen yeah, see right there i mean that right there never has never happened you know 
You know, mm-hmm. uh, as far as a governor appointment, I talked about it last episode, but Alex Padilla will be replacing Kamala Harris in California and is going to be the first uh, Latinx senator in the state of California's history, which is insane, considering the representation you know needed to reflect the community in California. I mean, I don't know the sure. percentages, but California is a massive Latinx community. You know, so so that should be interesting. I don't know a ton about his politics and whatnot, and we'll find out more as moving forward. But obviously, you know, they gave the nod, and there was a lot of really, you know, worthy people. And I have no complaints about the the pick as far as now. So the Georgia runoff is going to be really big, and or the 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 two seats. It's a big deal. It's the first time that a Democrat has won Georgia since two thousand, and we got two of them. And, you know, there's a lot of celebration going on. And I think Facebook feeds, and and we're going to talk a lot today about social media, but Facebook has gotten so one-sided. I wonder sometimes how many people saw my snarky little bragging, you know, my, my celebratory snark about the runoffs, because I don't know how many people I have that are extremists anymore. I've got some friends, I'm sure on my feed that are, are moderately conservative or whatnot that are like, they roll their eyes when I post things but I just don't really get a lot of flack anymore because I've blocked everybody that's an asshole. So <laughs> we live in our bubbles and it's really weird. Now I heard, um, cause we will get into social media, um, you know, censorship and uh, what is considered free speech and what's considered first amendment and the, the roiling conversation about that right now. But uh, I was listening and, and finding out um, on the radio that, Facebook did some of their own research about because on the topic of, um, you know, extremism and how it can breed uh, and basically the way that Facebook started out being very idealistic about connecting people. And then um, my Marxist friends will basically say, like, capitalism poisons everything. (laughs) And what I'm just saying is that the business model eventually kind of demanded that they they focus so much on increasing engagement that that was what the algorithms wanted to do and so um keeping you on the platform as long as possible getting you mad getting you uh you know to think like you know addicted to the platform and um their own research showed that that in two-thirds of the times when a user would join an extremist group um it was because the algorithm recommended it to them you know which doesn't surprise me that tends to be how i i don't search out an interesting sounding group and think you know i really would love to be in a group of patty rose supporters today it tends to be that it comes up and i'm like yeah oh yeah homeboys in there let's do it yeah an invite Mm -hmm. yeah i did go on the illuminati's facebook page one time just out of curiosity i went i didn't follow it (laughs) but i searched for it (laughs) and man it's some pretty wild stuff it's, well, it's, there's some rightful celebration right now about the fact that finally there's some accountability for this this person in the office who has just disgraced what the norms are or just the the um the our values surrounding what is safe and what is fair and what makes sense to promote from the highest office in the land, right? So there's some there's some celebratory like woohoo, like Jack Dorsey at Twitter, like really, really got him, you know? But Let's also have in the conversation enough space to say, yeah, these people helped get Trump elected. These people um, are are responsible in many situations for why Trump was able to win the Republican primary with his Twitter account uh, in the first place. And so, yeah, thank goodness that I mean, and then they were so transparent about warning the guy like, OK, bro, 
if you don't delete these tweets after your 12 hour ban, like, sorry, like, you know, some serious uh, consequences going to get handed down from us. And now what we, what I would like to see um, is some kind of formal consequence handed down in the government structure in the, in the public sector and not just in the private sector. Um, and I would, and I'm looking forward to chatting with you about what the implications of that could be because yeah, it's going to be it's a difficult debate. So we were, I'm going to, we're going to talk more about social media in a bit, but I want to talk about what led to some of the social media platforms blocking Trump. So we talked about Tuesday with the runoffs Wednesday in this week for the history books, uh, the Capitol building breach, you know, and a lot of people knew that this was coming. There's been a lot of warnings. Uh, we talked about already about our bubbles and, and kind of our circles. So I don't, I'm not on parlor. I'm not sure about you. But but uh, you don't I haven't seen too much of of the talk about, you know, let's storm the Capitol other than people sharing maybe a screenshot here and there. And I'm not in any of those groups, but I, apparently this is a very widespread thing. And that day, I mean, I want to talk first about just what the emotions of it were. Uh, I was at work and my girlfriend starts texting me stuff like, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh. They've, you know, Trump protesters have just breached the Capitol building. And then, you know, later, oh, my gosh, they're in Nancy Pelosi's office. And I definitely was having a hard time focused and then coming home and watching the news literally all night long. I realized how it was very disturbing. And it kind of made me rethink the way that I've looked at some of the stuff that's happened in Portland. I got to be completely honest that, you know, I don't know. what I don't know what would have happened if the protesters in Portland would have gotten in. Now we can talk about the balance of the way that policing is done. I mean, in Portland, they dealt with that with the swiftness. They're literally detaining people without, you know, identifying themselves as federal agents. I mean, just insane. And these are 20 year old kids. Not that that's still an adult, you know, at 20, whatever, but these people that are doing this in, in DC are a lot of them. I mean, I'm sure it's a wide range of individuals, just like any other protest, but Gosh, it's just it's interesting to consider too, uh, Patty, the difference between trying uh, b- between, you know, and I'm, I actually, you know, I wouldn't defend every single action in Portland. You know, I no. certainly would would not. But um, trying to get into the Mark Hatfield Justice Center as a symbol of what the criminal justice system has stood for and continues to perpetuate against black Americans, for example, compared to trying to storm the U.S. Capitol, which is a symbol of representative democracy. Right. The, the, the place where people convene from all around the country who have been duly elected to carry out their constitutional duties. It's a different thing. Yeah. You know, and part of me says I. I'll admit that some some of when I say that, like I rethink about Portland, like there's this desire to make concessions. There's this desire to kind of meet in the middle and like a plea to the we'll just say other side. It's like, look, guys, like I know you're going to be like, what about Portland? So I'll concede that. When does it become a point where we're just like, you're not willing to budge. So you know what? Fuck you. (laughs) You know, like what's happening is unacceptable, you know, because we're in this position where I constantly want to concede. I want to throw those Amy McGrath candidates out there. (laughs) You, You know, I'm using that as an analogy, but it. It's just you want to try to find ways to work together. And that's literally my desire. But at the same time, we're dealing with people that the you've had Mitch McConnell on the right before Wednesday saying that the Biden election was was fine, that there was no sign of voter fraud. So you have far right conservative elected officials saying that this was a fair election. 
And yet, because of misinformation, you have people believing that it's time to completely overthrow the entire United States government. And that was their goal. That was their goal. You know, and we haven't seen the last of it. I mean, I think it's January 17th, and if not January 20th, because like I said, I'm not in those threads, but I keep seeing more and more and more about creating a new America, a new 1776 party where they're going to overthrow the United States government. I mean, what in the hell is going on? You know, and right. I mean, these people, Um, you know, and then, well, one thing that strikes me. Yeah, go just because with a lot of the motivation now is wrapped up with COVID shutdowns and all that kind of stuff. And so I, I understand people's complaints and gripes, but why is it that when the COVID complaints happen, that it's literally like an underlying uh, suggestion that it's just from the democratic party. That's doing shutdowns like the Demo, you know, this is what I so like these people will be like, well, they're trying to take away my business. I'm like, all government is modifying our rights right now. It's not like it's left or right. It's government because we're in a public health crisis. You know, well, and I have a gradient song I'm working on where I try to hammer the point home that honestly, if you're really tired of these businesses being closed down, the right thing would be for us to have very early on like widespread acceptance of these basic policies that would have been able to or these basic practices in 99.9 percent of cases like where I'm, I'm not saying that every i don't know i i actually like try to fight for nuance so much to the point where it's, uh, i i have a hard time making unequivocal statements because like okay i guess in in very rare cases a mask can be damaging like or a person who needs to lip read or like weird rare respiratory situations but like if 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 you had gotten the really widespread adoption that other countries saw that are more um equipped to do this kind of thing you know like I'm Japanese right the Japanese have been putting on one of those masks when you get sick for decades you know and if we had had that well then we wouldn't have needed to have these stay at home orders and these multiple waves and this continual really just depressing and um, powerfully dejecting like culture that we've had about feeling like this is never going to end because you've seen like um, that you can see which governors are seeing cases really spike. And then you see Kate Brown taking a lot of flack from the same people. She's taken a lot of flack for, for her whole term, her whole term. And Oregon has the 48th most cases per hundred, per hundred thousand people. So we're crushing it because we, we crushed it. Because we really still, made that effort. And still, people that I care about deeply, my, my good friend of mine from really middle school friend, but through high school as well, both of her parents were hospitalized. And her dad is still in the hospital. So even the successes of us taking this serious as a society, we're still losing loved ones or having loved ones come close to, you know, to having to fight for their life. People just don't understand how significant this is. Now, back to the Capitol building breach, though. We're, it's one of those things that we're never going to forget this day. We're going to remember yeah. where we were watching this news coverage. What was your experience like during that day? Oh, man, what a great question. Because early on, knowing that there was going to be this big rally in this protest, um, I was tuning in to some of the live streamed um, actually from the where the House uh, of Representatives was debating this objection to the counting, which, by the way, was supposed to be quite a simple and in many ways symbolic procedure for the you know federal government located in D.C. to accept what the states have already certified and sent to them. It's a counting thing. It's like, let's make sure that like they didn't send multiple electors in any given state. And it's just not it's not a real situation where 
because uh, like um you know josh hawley the uh senator from missouri who is very controversial now for fomenting a lot of the stuff and there's a picture of him like holding up his fist like to these people who are about to do something violent later in the day you know he was basically saying this is the space where we have to object no it's not there are many different like places in the chain of command where you would better be better served by trying to you know uphold election integrity the biggest part where you should start is getting your people to vote like and so having a president who doesn't actually actively encourage the election by basically saying that it's just going to be rigged anyway that's where you really should have started so my experience was watching them debate it and seeing you know your facebook comments like like being very you know like polarized and whatever and people like uh there was like a an incoming uh, Republican congresswoman who was like shouting uh, and being really upset about it. And people like, why are you yelling? And I was like, you know, this is like seeming like pretty intense here, but people don't might, might not realize that like, like the federal government has always been a place for very spirited debate within, you know, for the most part norms. Like there was one guy who got hit with a cane so badly he almost died on the house floor once, but for the most part, <laughs> like people have just been engaging in really raucous spirited debate since like the constitutional convention, for example, which, and they didn't have PA systems back then. So people were just literally shouting, you know? Um, so then seeing that, but then starting to see, you know, once they actually were able to get in and then the, the really valid questions about why, why the security was making excuses at yeah. times for we didn't have we had no intelligence that they would there would be any kind of a breach of the capitol and it's like that's insanity you, because you, like <laughs> i said i've seen things and i'm not even in those circles i mean all you have to do is go for i know the fbi has done this but they're on parlor so you know the fact that reports came out that mike pence had to call in the national guard because trump refused I mean, these different things like it seems a little questionable, you know, and it's not only in the Capitol in on Washington, D.C. There was there was massive protests at multiple state capitals, including Oregon. And, you know, the same week, it may not have been on the same day, but Georgia, they really like I was yeah. so easy and, to predict Brad Raffensperger, the secretary of state who did that hour long phone call with Trump, where Trump said, find 11000 votes. That guy, they really tried to come after him, too. And so, yeah, yeah, and threats and all that in Oregon at the state capitol. There was a protest in Oregon State Representative Mike Nearman. It's 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 been seen. You can see the video clear as day that he opens the door, lets them in and then just goes about his business, just keeps walking. And it just looks like there's no fear there. And, you you know, the D.C. Capitol Police are under s serious scrutiny for uh maybe a combination of things, a lack of preparation. Uh, were they allowing this? I mean, this will be investigated. And what scares me so much of where we're at is that in, under a Biden administration, even if he's just president and Merrick Garland, who's now attorney general, decides to take up this thing, you know, to take up these cases, there's going to be people on the right that are going to be like, they're trying to punish their political, you know, rivals. And it's like, this is not the same thing. These people I mean, it's a breach. They're they're literally breaking federal law, you know, and so I don't know. It's going to be really, well, really troublesome because you mentioned Portland earlier and making concessions and thinking about that. Of course, I'm I try to pride myself on being and I hope people keep me in check. Reach out to me, you know, five, four, one, five, one, three, three, nine, oh, four. If you hate what I'm saying, reach out to me and tell me 
that I'm wrong or I'm missing something. But um, you know, comparing, for example, the the summer of tumult and the and the Black Lives Matter protests and uh, Antifa related uh, you know uprisings and things to what happened here, right? What's a big difference? And and this is something that needs to be made clear for people who don't really see or the, for the people who weren't involved in these summer protests, et cetera. You know, I'm thinking of like, for example, in Portland, Ted Wheeler was the mayor and everybody in the protest freaking hated him. And in, in Minneapolis, uh, Jacob Fry was the mayor and damn near everybody in the protest freaking hated him and was really trying to hold him accountable. And they did show up to one or two of these, um, the peaceful protests that occurred and like engaged and dialogued with the crowd, you know, um, people marched to Lucy Venice's house here in Eugene, for example, uh, and also Christine Lundberg, who was the mayor at the time in Springfield, and they would dialogue with these people. Right. And there's just this perception that gets spread around falsely that because for example, that these people will say that they believe black lives matter like no capitals on the lives in the matter. Like these lives are, are valued as anybody else's lives, right? Because they say these things and because they do position themselves as champ as like trying to be champions of racial justice and social justice that look what you did. You encouraged these violent actions, right? No, that's not the case. And the, the crowds themselves are not pro Ted Wheeler crowds are right. not pro Minneapolis mayor crowds, right? Whereas there is a giant difference between Donald Trump from the Oval Office telling people January 6th, January 6th, and then saying, you got to fight. You got to come with strength. Uh, Rudy Giuliani saying, you know, combat, you know, all this stuff and, and, and yeah, drumming up this kind of support, trial by combat. And, um, and, and that being the president of the U.S. In organizing that against a process of the government, like directly. And then why I say it matters what the people are thinking, too. Maybe I am wrong, but when I see that crowd of people all supporting Trump directly, maybe there is 0.001% of people who actually don't support Trump, but they're just there because they care so much about what they believe to be a flaw in election integrity that they're there regardless of whether or not they support Trump. But no, that is largely, it's not, like I said, the BLM thing is not pro Ted Wheeler, but the but the insurrection in cap, the Capitol is very much pro. We love Trump so much that we that we will do anything possible to say that he deserves to have a second term, even though seven million people voted for Biden more than him. And three oh six to two thirty two was the was the result. And right. and none of these freaking none of these people there's an ignorance of how the judiciary system works because because of the fact that that like damn near every single one of the court cases failed and often in like trying to dispute double digit numbers of votes like very small numbers of votes um people are like the courts just wouldn't hear them these are people that your guy appointed these are people in so many cases that they, they didn't hear the case because you have to have evidence to get time in front of a freaking like you believe in small government. Do you really believe that a judge should take up any case where I could just say, you know what? Patty Rose freaking reached through his laptop and smacked me in the face. You know, you got to provide yeah. evidence. Yeah. No. So, you know, <laughs> yeah. there's two things. So with 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 the Trump situation in, in D.C. is that Trump is literally in D.C. giving a speech. <laughs> on January 6th saying, let's march down there. I'm going to go with you. Let's march down to the Capitol. I mean, he literally, he instigated, he started it clear as day. You're talking yeah. about Ted Wheeler. 
there's two things and I'm not defending or whatnot, Ted Wheeler, it doesn't matter the person, but as the mayor, he went to the protests to show solidarity because they were so consistently there every single night that it wasn't going to stop. And he wanted to show states rights because the federal government was detaining people. So that's when Ted Wheeler went, correct? Ted Wheeler went once the feds were there. It wasn't the state police that tear gassed him. Wasn't it federal? I can't remember. I don't Regardless, remember. So now here's what one important thing, though, that when I talk about some. But I do know that he was very opposed to and, and pointed out the fact that after the feds came in and snatched people into unmarked vehicles, that's when things got worse. Like things yeah. got more vitriolic and violent. Right. And so uh, with Ted Wheeler, though, there was an attack on his house. And and this is where I am. Ta- this is what I'm talking about is when I say that I have to rethink some of the things like I'm not ever going to be okay with that for anybody. I don't care whose house it is. Mitch McConnell, Nancy Pelosi, Ted Wheeler, you go to someone's house who is an elected official and you disagree with their strategy. I'm, it's not acceptable because the only reason that you would have any, in my opinion, any right to go do that is if they had done something so heinous that they probably should be removed from office. You know, and so we have a duty as citizens to elect or to vote someone out. If the next, you know, you have to do that. We have to do this through through the democracy, or we lose it. So I'm just not accepting. Can I can I ask you to elaborate on, for example, the difference between leading a protest of chance outside a person's house and like actually? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, leaving every, a pig head. Sure. Everything that I've read <clears throat> with Ted Wheeler's house, though, is that there was a fire started in the foyer. Oh, OK. Yeah. You know what I mean? I mean, I'm talking actual destruction. You know what happened with Isaiah Wagner led the protest when he went to uh, Christine Lundberg's house. And I mm-hmm. watched the feed. I don't I didn't go because of covid to any of the protests this summer. That's why it's because of covid. But I watched the feed and, you know, I felt like it was he was doing things where he thought about it, where he said, We're not going to scream and yell. We're going to have a silent march, you know, and I thought these things were really poignant, really powerful and beautiful, to be honest, you know, so there's a difference. I just I'm not a big fan of people going to people's houses. I'm just not. I'm just not because there's children. There's there's other things involved that it's like there needs to be a place where we have peace and that's our homes. And I'm just not a big fan. I'm not a big fan of. You know, you are an elected official and it's a 24 hour day job, but there's times where you should be able to just have your time, you know, that you should be. I don't care. I mean, that's just my take on it is that I'm not a big fan of it. I did watch that one and it went as as good as it possibly could, but it's just a recipe for disaster when you start going to people's houses, you know, and that's my opinion. But I mean, I don't know that I fully agree, but I would say like the unfortunate reality of like mob mentality and mob psychology is that you know tipping points can lead to like okay i think i think there's an interesting discussion to be had about like so i would go to an event and support the event support the goals of the event uh, and the overall principle of like racial justice for example but sometimes i would be there and not not say every single chant you know I, because that's me as a person and and uh, and those are my words once they start coming out of my mouth so um the vast majority of the chance i would say but i would be just a again i'm fi- i'm trying to fight for nuance in this way that like i guess i wish that more people would but like i'm not trying to put myself on a pedestal it just feels like the right uh, things that seem like the thing to do that makes sense and so like all cops are bastards is one that I probably did say at some point, but I, but I, in many times I didn't say it because 
depending on how I felt and how, how I really felt in that moment. Because first of all, just on that phrase, I do think it arises as a refutation to the incorrect notion that like um, it law enforcement issues of um, corruption, police violence, racism, white supremacy are just tiny isolated incidents. And so they say it's just a few bad apples. Don't, um, you know, blame the whole system, but it's very worth having this systemic critique of the system based on the history and the, and the, and what's still happening today. But does, does the, do those words like as a slogan, do I agree with them? Do I think every single cop is a bastard or a bad person? I, I do not. And so that's just where, you know, I, but that's why I try to be like, but, but probably I'm doing, um, a fool's errand to be like, um, you know, think about the people who, who like may have been part of a Trump rally, but like were the ones trying to like not have it become violent or because they're, they're out there. Right. I think. Well, but again, <laughs> again, people's right to protest. I'm not, of course that's there. I'm talking about at people's house. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I just have a hard, yeah. time. I just have a hard time yeah. with it on someone's lawn when, you know, who right. knows? Well, that's where I would leave. If it was, if it was doing damage to a person's house, that's where I would like, I like to believe yeah. that I would leave. You yeah. Know? So we have a lot to cover. So, I mean, we could talk about each one of these things forever, mm. you know, and we will in the next 20 years, but, but uh, we have so much to cover. We have to talk about social media. So this week we've seen finally, Trump being banned from Twitter, it sounds like permanently. And then Facebook, uh, Reddit, YouTube, uh, it sounds like he's been blocked from Shopify. So you can't buy his yeah. hats and stuff like that. And then make America great hats. I'm pretty sure right now, Trump is probably signing up for an only fans page, uh, because that's the only place that he would be left. Uh, <laughs> you know, parlor, which prides them, so they call themselves the free speech. The, the, Subscribe the last to me on Patreon. We yeah. get lots of rewards for every tier. It's going to be great. So uh, <laughs> Parler, which has popped up as, they say, the last place for free speech. Uh, I think they're confused on how the internet works and the First Amendment works in regards to free speech in private companies. And we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit. But it sounds like Parler is being blocked from the App Store. So and, unless they're being looked at and reviewed you have 24 hours to correct some of your uh dealings with misinformation what is your take on this on these on these shutdowns and blocks of of trump i mean i read some of the tweets and it's clear to me that it's inciting violence and we saw him incite violence i guess this just shows how massive these tech giants have gotten and how dangerous it is for our world, you know, and we've seen positives. I mean, I don't know enough to know about the Arab spring. You remember that whole situation? I don't know enough. 2011. To, I mean, that was looked at as being this amazing thing. And I watched a documentary. I'm, I'm interrupting your question answer here, but, but I watched a documentary last night that was frontline. That was about Maria Reza from the, the Philippines. And she's a journalist that is being fought by the government. Now that's censorship because that's the government blocking, arresting a journalist for reporting their views. If you are given a platform, someone decides to give you the platform, they can fire you. <laughs> you know what I mean? If as a journalist, that's a whole different argument. Facebook can delete your stuff because they don't want it on their, on their private company platform. The government cannot shut you down. You know, that's a whole different thing. And yet Trump tried to block TikTok 
And then now you'll have his supporters saying, wait a minute, why is it, you know, so what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, he tried to come down on American users of TikTok who, you know, live under the First Amendment. So, you know, it's interesting. Um, That's a really interesting question, dog. I really got to say, because the first thing I would say is our conversation about the about free speech. I just wish people were a little better equipped to have it in terms of knowing what the first amendment covers and what it is like, like when you, like when you look at the bill of rights, like, like a lot of people will, will know like, okay, that one is the one that doesn't, that allows uh, no quartering of soldiers in your house or whatever, but like no one knows the exact words. Right. And like somehow we've, we've kind of like uh, accepted that um, or people don't tend to memorize the exact words. Like First Amendment just means free speech. Well, no. no. First Amendment also covers right to peaceably assemble and the press. And, you know, I, I think free speech is like generally something that I agree with, like as a con is the most vague concept possible, right? But honestly, when we're talking about what the what that amendment covers from a pu- public policy standpoint, like I think Twitter has the free speech right to do something like what they did with Trump which they warned him in public and said, we're going to basically shut down your account, bro. If you don't like take responsibility for what you've done here, he didn't, of course. And then they shut him down. Like that's a, that's a that is an act of speech and they have the right to curate what content happens on their, on their, in their private company. Now, also, does it publishing lead- their publishing platforms? You know, of it's course. Like, and, not, and not to interrupt, I, but like Amazon, you can self publish on Amazon. That does not mean that, they will let you sell Mein Kampf or, you know, or whatever book, you know, or, I mean, obviously if you mm-hmm. want to write a Nazi manifesto, you're not mm-hmm. going to be able to sell it on Amazon. They're like, this is troublesome. We're not, you know, we're, and I'm sure that you probably can get away with quite a bit. I've said it very openly on the show that when I'm a, fir- a first amendment absolutist, it means that I would actually fight for someone to be able to print racism, you know, like to be able right. to, to publish it on their own. You know, right. I might I might with my dollars boycott the publishing company that wants to let them sell that book and has their name on it as well. You know, so if this company, if someone wants to write racist material, create their own print shop, make their own books and their, you know, and publish that stuff, that's protected under the First Amendment. Now, our tax dollar or our 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 dollars can speak and we can boycott it by not buying it. You know, that's the right. way it's supposed to be done. Anyway, go ahead. And then the like specifically where I think we would agree it would be bad is you would say is if the, well, I, I think it would be bad regardless, but let's say, okay. Um, insert X here is uh, this race. I hate him and let's go stone his house. Like that's, and not every, a, that's different though. Right. And it's you're like really trying to incite that. Yeah. And yeah. So, you know, it's a, it's a really interesting conversation because um, I, I have, for a while had sympathy for the idea that like shutting down of speech has gone too far in many cases. Um, But I mean, that's in large part, it's just culturally people's right to uh, hold accountable the people who are speaking things that they find so egregious that like you're willing to try to drum up momentum to, to stop them, you know? Um, Alex Jones is a good example. So Alex Jones on on youtube was where he makes his money i mean where he made the most of it that and selling like some you know life-changing altering pill that doesn't have snake oil but he you know he has his platform and his website and info wars that that is massive you know he's got a huge following 
So I'm sure that at this point, his website, he has web designers behind the scenes that are making it so they can make their own video, you know, upload ability. I'm sure he doesn't use Wix or GoDaddy is what I'm saying, you know, because it's so big. But when he uses YouTube, YouTube, there's a there's a, a code of conduct. And what got him into hot water is talking about Sandy Hook, among other things, but talking about the Sandy Hook victims that lost their children, their kindergartners that were shot in the face. You know, that he says it's a false flag and that those people either killed their kids or sacrificed their kids to take your guns, which is absolute insanity. I mean, for people that believe that, take a step back and think about what you're thinking, that this is, you know, this is just insane. And this is why we're at where we're at, because there's people that believe this kind of garbage. Alex Jones has admitted that he was lying and he calls himself an entertainment person, you know, not a journalist, which I say, too. So it's dangerous waters. But, but any anyway. argument Fox News made once to basically say we're oh, entertainment platform. Yeah, don't don't believe that we're gonna say inf- uh, honest information. That was a legal defense they tried to use once. Right, and so you know Alex Jones gets pulled from YouTube and everyone cries censorship. I've got a good friend I won't name that he's constantly on this argument because of the YouTube platform pulling you know conservatives, and it's like you know I hate it when it's when it looks one sided. But I mean, I've seen a ton of stuff pro- pulled from the, from the left as well that was inciting violence. Not making false equivalences. I'm just saying they censor a lot of stuff and that'd be a difficult job. But with Alex Jones specifically, it's so public. Yeah, his stuff needs to be pulled. He's literally making, he's promoting violence. He's promoting this misinformation campaign that leads to death threats, mm. massive amounts of death threats to these people that are victims of the Sandy Hook shooting. And it's just disgusting. You know, and this right. is, I mean, I don't, I well, don't, I don't know how much we can really have a great conversation about this, like, because it is so nuanced and it's like, these cases have to be thought about individually and broken down and really considered. Right. And I think there's serious issues I have with like both sides of this argument. So that's, that's just basically how I would condense it. But one thing that I think is funny on an entertaining level is have you ever heard anybody complaining about being shadow banned from anything? Uh, maybe elaborate so, on it. So shadow banning is like, oh, I used to have this many likes on my posts and this many views. And now the platform doesn't like me. And so they've shadow banned me, which suppresses me in the algorithm. My own fans can't see me as much and blah, blah, blah. Um, I kind of agreed with that when it was like musicians on Facebook being like, why would you change the algorithm? So now I have to pay to get in front of my own supporters. But the funny thing is I see people and I really do see these people. Some of them are my friends and they're conservative people. And they just are so addicted to this act of posting or whatever. They flood, they flood their own profile with all of these posts. Right. And they just assume that every time they post people care so much that like once people stop liking and responding and commenting to each post, they cry shadow ban. And that's just such a, such a delusional (laughs) Such yeah. a delusional it can be such a, and I'm not saying it's never happened that people have been shadow banned, but it's a delusional idea that like, oh, me posting more and more and more and being more extreme means that it'll get more positive attention. It's like, no, your friends get weared down by that. And the amount the amount of time they spent looking at it and engaging shrinks. So right. I don't know. Yeah, and if you not, repeat the same things, I mean, obviously any one of us that's done music can say, you know, I've spent months on an EP or an album and then you know, nobody cares. I mean, I make bad music. Yeah. You make good music. So, and I'm sure you've still had that happen. No, I'm so, going to start putting out bad music that I am proud of. I, because, I, yeah. 
it takes me it's too much money and effort and time to try to make it sound great and then it doesn't sound perfect anyway so like i'd rather i'd rather release something where i love the lyrics but you know what maybe i didn't mix this perfectly but it's going out there yeah so check it out my album's gonna be called chicken i'm excited i'm very excited you have an exclusive for the album title of my project that i hope is going to come well it'd be a little too ambitious to say january but probably february 2021 Gradient. Yeah, so everybody, you know, listening, Thomas is also a musician, goes by the name Gradient, uh, really awesome hip-hop artist. Normally, I would be playing your songs, but we do have a special treat when we end this episode. I'm going to play an acoustic song that Joey Helpish recorded watching the news on Wednesday. So, you know, uh, like you said, it's kind of it's really difficult for us to really get into the social media censorship stuff because it's going to be really rapidly changing over you know perceptions and and information that's coming out i think that the the misinformation campaigns that have been done i know we talked about in 2016 russia and and russia's misinformation campaign i'm a firm not i mean i'm a believer that as much as i might not like the the results with what russia did if russia was posting memes that were misleading is that even a crime you know i mean you, you know what i'm saying is it is russia's I'm not defending them. I'm just saying, are are they protected under our First Amendment rights as well? Now, there's outside interference and election issues there. But if somebody wants to create all these bullshit memes, it's it's not a crime. You know, like in America, like let's say it's not Russia. Say it's people here. It's not a crime. And so this is where it gets really difficult because we as a society have a responsibility to actually know things and to actually (laughs) educate ourselves, you know, and so. Somehow that's such a great statement that should be so obvious. <laughs> Seriously. that I mean, oh, it just feels like, you know, and I mean, I, there's a lot of things that I don't know, you know. And, For anyone who doesn't know, my I did do like 15 or 20 episodes of my show as Less Stupid with Thomas Huda. And I was trying to say that I'm becoming less stupid because I am really dumb in, a, in many cases, like oh, by having yeah. interesting conversations with like, people who know better than me but like also it feels in many cases i think people receive it as like you're going to become less stupid by listening to this show because there's a lot of stupidity in the world and you know yeah i I changed it to broken class and i'm i'm excited about that but like that's something i care about is is like basic veracity of knowledge well it's like andrew yang andrew yang's pins math it's not math it's make america think again you know harder is it harder think harder yeah. I, don't, I don't know an acronym or how it works, but yeah, make America, <laughs> make America think harder. And Andrew Yang, by the way, is running for the mayor of New York. And I am ex- he, that's happening, right? He announced that I'm extremely. I don't think he has announced. However, this is how it works. You know, you leak the info somehow, basically like they they um they have filed. He has filed for the necessary. Yeah, that is um, back end formal procedures to become. Uh, candidate for mayor of New York City in 2021. So we're going to have one more topic and then we're going to get out of here. And this is really difficult. We kind of have just touched on different things and and the censorship stuff. I wish we could get more into you, but it's a difficult, it's a difficult thing. And I really don't even have the answers on how to fix this. And the next topic, we're not really probably going to have the answers either. But what do we do for the 75 million people that Supported Trump, voted for Trump. Some are all in for Trump. Now, there's a broad swath. I know that there's people that voted for Trump that are disgusted by his behavior that might 
consider still voting for him now. I think that now if the election was done today, it wouldn't even be close. You know, the stuff that's happened. I think that the narrative has kind of turned after watching what happened in, in Washington, D.C. at the Capitol. But I mean, there's a lot of people. How do we how do we fight the misinformation? That's the part that we, we don't even know how to control these platforms. But mm-hmm. how do we get people with such extreme different views that think that just because I'm a Democrat that I like eat children, you know, and, and worship Satan? How do you rein that in? How do you had mentioned before, though, too, that it's a small amount of people. It's a very small, loud amount of people. Sure. You know, and it's 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 like it's both. It's it's big enough to be historic and troubling, but it also is outsized in the attention that it gets. Um, I you know, there's a lot we could say about this, my friend. Um, And I think the healing is going to come down to conversations. And um, I I love podcasts for that, you know, like being able to really like uh, I, I. I'll watch a podcast with two people I disagree with and find things that I appreciate. And when you've done that, you probably realize that person's not just a mortal enemy. Right. Um, I think there's one point that I I was dying to make on your show. So I'm going to make it here. There is a delusion that exists with many of these people, the most extreme ones where they simultaneously believe two things that don't really go together. One Trump is the most unfairly hated and demonized president, Right just totally unfairly hated and smeared in the history of the country. Like the media is his enemy and it's just so unfair what he's gone through. That's one. And they also believe that there is no way he wouldn't win in a landslide. (laughs) Why? (laughs) How does that make sense? Yeah, that's a good point. (laughs) If he didn't win in a landslide, it's because the whole system like is just uh, like the voting system itself is corrupt. Maybe you could say the media landscape is corrupt. I'd probably agree with you on a lot of those situations. But people voted for the other guy. Yeah, so that's one thing. It's frustrating with real quick <laughs> the, the de- you know the Democratic Party, like it or not, as an as a progressive, I I don't like it the way that things went. But that being said, you don't always get what you want, and prog- progression and progress is slow. And so in 2016, you know there was talks about Hillary stealing the election and all this different stuff from Bernie, you know, and so that had so much damage. In 2020. We're just like, okay, we're going to vote for whoever the hell the people pick, you know, and we're going to make sure that this happens and it's going to happen no matter what. It could have been Pete Buttigieg, Kamala Harris, Elizabeth Warren, Bernie Sanders, Joe Biden. It didn't matter who got the won the primary. There was going to be a massive turnout, you know, and then there was efforts like Fair Fight and Stacey Abrams, who's the real MVP. But in Georgia, to really get new voters, even more so in the Georgia runoff, that there was more. Uh, there was new voters in the Georgia runoff in the Democratic Party. You know, so I get where people on the right that are Trump supporters are like, what the hell? How is it possible that you had 81 million votes for Biden and Obama had set records with 68 million? And it's like, first of all, population growth. Second of all, participation. You know, I mean, and, and I've never seen Patty culturally such hatred for one year of the Gregorian calendar as I did for 2020. It's I thought 16 vastly- yeah, right. And it vastly transcended just politicos and people who are like me are obsessed with with following politics. Like it was everybody knew that ne- shit needed to change. And fair enough, like the most basic instinct is to want some accountability or blame, let's say, for the person who has let who has been in charge under all of sure. this. 
especially when homeboy is just not taking accountability and he's just out golfing and, and lying. So and one of the things too, that we, that never gets thrown into this conversation about the hatred for Trump and the turnout and the, and whatnot is COVID is that we're living in a pandemic yeah. and that yes, the way that people voted might've changed in States. We voted by mail forever, but it was then instigated cross country. So it was easier for one for two. If there's, Republican leaders that were saying it was a hoax starting from the top at Trump that could potentially kill your family member. So for people that take this serious when they take COVID serious, which they should then because it's science, it shouldn't be political, but that for a lot of people, they're like, I'm not this, I'm not safe. And it is the duty of the elected officials to keep us safe. And what we saw Wednesday, I love too. Yeah. The Georgia runoff, man. Uh, Two of the, the the two Republicans that were running for their own seats back that they were already sitting in, right, were two of the most uh, corrupt in terms of the insider trading that occurred from learning about COVID early right. through a, through their government um, information. That you're not supposed to use that to enrich yourself to sell off your stocks so that you can like make sure that you know you are fine while downplaying it to the public. So thank God that the people of Georgia. Uh, with the help of of Stacey Abrams and a whole bunch of other people, like understood that really basic premise. While while the GOP side of things were divided on a message, they were yeah. either trying to just say radical liberal Raphael Warnock yeah. eleven times or whatever, or say that the election's rigged and so it's not fair. So vote for vote, help out Trump. But like you know, like again, like here's a conflict of a message, like. You got people who really like Trump's still going to be inaugurated. He's still going to be in. But they're also making this post-apocalyptic argument that like the only check you'll have on the Biden administration is to like vote for Leffler and Purdue. And it's like, well, not if Trump's still going to be the president. But right? voting doesn't that work. Doesn't make, so, you know, yeah, right. You know, it was then, all skewed. It was all it didn't make sense. It wasn't coherent. And the Democrats had a had a unified, strong message there. And I'll, they had two I'll, good I'll credit them for that. Yeah. I, and, I know man, you have problems with Oslo I don't, stuff, I don't but, love us. <laughs> But that's fine. Yeah, and, and but, you know, but, you know, what we're seeing is when those two candidates ran on platform, ran on character, ran on principle, the two candidates, mm-hmm. they, they ran on on representation, which, again, is very important because he's bringing Warnock is bringing a voice to the table that hasn't been there, you know. The Republican shtick is running out when it comes to elections, because the majority of people are not they may be registered as a Republican or a Democrat, but the majority of people only do that for the primary. And they're like, I hate both parties, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. and realistically, I am not a fan of the Democratic Party as a whole. I've got many problems. I'm disgusted that Nancy Pelosi is seated again to be the Speaker of the House. It's time for new leadership. After what we've seen in these last 10 years, it's time for new leadership. But that's a different point. But Let's the Republican- reward your your listener base here who loves the local co- the local coverage, right? Um, Kurt Schrader, uh, congressman in Oregon's fifth, who represents Salem and that whole area in the district. Um, he is the most rep- he's the most conservative of Oregon's Democrats who go to D.C. And uh, he, in many cases, has voted against things that the vast majority of House Democrats have. For example, in 2019, he voted he was one of six House Democrats to vote against um, a, like a gradual minimum wage increase. Um, he like basically said he he thinks Pelosi is too liberal, right? And this is a Democrat that Oregon keeps electing, 
Um, and I believe he needs to be primaried badly by somebody who, and Mark Gamba tried it and, and I hope he tries again and blah, blah, blah. But I, I really believe that Kurt Schrader should be replaced by somebody who is at least a little more liberal. I know that the Salem area and stuff isn't the most like ardently progressive, but he said on a conference call, he compared the, the idea of impeaching Trump to lynching, right? Yeah, which is so already the, tone deaf. You know, yeah. and you know what? And thank God that the other congressmen, like DeFazio, Bonamici, that are Oregon congresspeople, um, freaking like did not mince words and said that that is beyond the pale, very bad. He apologized quickly because he knew that that was a stupid thing for that information to come out that he said that. And now, what does he do? He's supporting impeachment. Well, that's that's what exactly a politician. That's what I'm talking about, though, is is the politics of it, where the campaigns yeah. are literally just politics. It's just that person's terrible. And that's the only thing when you get progressives are about platform policies, plans, you know, this is what we're going to do. And that's, that is attractive to people. Sometimes even people that might differ with the, the letter next to their name. You know, you talk about a 2016 Bernie Sanders run that got popular with libertarians, which is insanity. Mm. I mean, a small amount, sure, but sure. enough that you're bringing people to this umbrella, you know, I mean, even, the yeah, Democratic his policies are not libertarian. No, but people are like, I want a cost effectiveness because a libertarian balances their checkbook. They want the government to do the same. You know, sure. so they're like, if we're going to do healthcare, and the Koch brothers did this thing that, that they found results that said that it was more cost effective than our current system, then a libertarian's like, I hate it because you know what I mean? But maybe it's better because it's more cost effective. I, you know, I, I I mean, in a perfect world, the libertarians would be like, we don't even have insurance. We just pay our bills when we go. But that's just <laughs> not possible for the majority of Americans because we've been squashed by corporations. You know, so Can I throw a question at you just about absolutely the practicality going to get out of here. Yeah. Yeah. The consequences of what is Trump going to really face for the fact that he incited this. Right. There are four ways that he that he could leave office. One, he resigns pie in the sky man the only way he'd resign is if he took a crazy deal with pence where pence is going to pardon him if he resigns two the 25th amendment happens and they have invoke that and they remove him through that means three he has an impeachment that leads to a conviction in the senate and four joe biden is inaugurated and we can only have one president at a time so he actually finishes out his whole term um what do you think is going to happen and what do you want to happen uh in a way, this won't happen, but in a way, I, I, I would be okay on a federal level with a res resignation and a pardon because I think that it would be even everything, even after everything, and a lot of people can disagree, and my, my answer would probably change depending on the time of the day and how much anger I've got stewing, but I, I would be okay with the healing process beginning. State level with, with New York, they can still try them on tax fraud and all that stuff. I'm not worried about it, but on the feds, Let's just move on and make this a week of in for the history books behind us. You know, it's kind of one. I think that we're not a country that punishes our political rivals because of political beliefs. And even though Trump has crossed and de he's destroyed those lines and, and destroyed norms, it's just time to move on. It's time to heal. That's one that I would be OK with that. You know, I don't know if it's my preference. I just I would it would be good to see that we could just move on and, a, and an actual peaceful transition of power. And that's how much he's fought to make it to where you're accepting something so normal that it's just a give. You thought it was a given before, you know what I mean? So I it's really like, hope briefly that enough people on the right 
are listening to Joe Biden enough to know that that's his position. He shares yeah. your position. Yeah. He's focused on getting his working on his government, making his government and his agenda function and not focused on impeachment. What do I expect to happen? If in that, and I don't know if that was the question, but what do I expect to happen uh, is all 50 states capitals on January 20th are going to be desecrated, destroyed, probably with gun violence. And there's going to be thousands of people die is what I expect to happen on January 20th. Wow. Uh, flat out. And then I, I think across. I don't, country, I don't expect thousands, but it's really hard to say. And no, I think that know, there's people the, that believe that this is the last. It's going to be a mutiny that they think. I that believe that the the last tweet that 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 45 was able to put on Twitter was him saying he's not going to go to the inauguration. And some have speculated. I don't know if I agree that he's basically saying that to say, hey, I'm not going to be there. You guys have at it. Yeah. You know, like, I don't know if that's like a bomb situation or like there was know, bombs found whatever. i mean i've read reports oh, a truck there of 11 bombs from alabama like a whole bunch of stuff they and we didn't even talk about like thing. how the freaking some of the shirts man they were saying six million jews wasn't enough right. like where, camp where auschwitz like there was a bombing last week i mean and and remember the truck that was going down the street God, what state was it was it north carolina i can't remember what state it was not L- right now. louisville louisville Okay, Kentucky. And I mean, there's it was so just totally out of the news now. I know. So bizarre. I mean, here's a truck going down the road that's like, please evacuate the area. Bomb will be detonated. Was that a test run? You know, I mean, we we, Mm. I'm old enough to know. I know some of my audience might not be. I was I remember watching thoroughly the coverage of of uh, the Oklahoma City bombing, Timothy McVeigh. And, you know, a lot of young people don't Which understand. Which Merrick Garland helped prosecute, by the way. Oh, no, nice. yeah, and he will be attorney so, general. So I'm yep. just, I'm just saying, I, I've, I'm no stranger when it comes to far right extremism. Living in Oregon, we live right next to Idaho, which is just an absolute hotbed for this anti-establishment extremism, libertarianism. And I'm not saying nationalism, right? National. I'm not saying that libertarians are a problem. They're absolutely not. It's just a difference in strategy. But when taken to a far extreme, the level that people are willing to go to defend their freedoms, which I think is it's important. It's it's crucial. You know, it's 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 what our country is based on. But people will use things like having to wear a mask going against their constitutional rights. You get into these really murky areas where it's like, come on, we can't even agree on you're you're talking like your hair's on fire because you can't go into a freaking Costco without a piece of cloth on your face to make sure that other people aren't dying. You know, you know what I mean? So I mean, we're we've we've covered enough. I'm tired. Yeah. <laughs> no. Thomas, you're right amazing. I, I would love to have you on my show sometime soon. So please, uh, people, just look forward to that for Broken Class. We'll have more to talk about. And, um, you know, it'd be an honor to have you on because yeah. I haven't had you on yet. Yeah, Broken Radio or Broken Class. Broken Radio. Shout out to Broken Radio 541. That's uh, Nate Ingman's podcast. Shout out to Gorilla Radio by Rage Against the Machine. Shout out to Broken Record, which is Rick Rubin's podcast. Shout out to any combination of these words we've already said. That's amazing. That's amazing. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> Shout out to, uh, yeah, I'm done. I've got nothing left. My brain's mush. Shout out to FM radio, which was created on the Columbia university campus in the early 2000. Uh, <laughs> on, a, on a serious note, shout out to my sponsors, Oregon cashflow pro Oregon cashflow pro is my title sponsor. Uh, their slogan is it's guy got it right here is more wealth, less death fast so go to oregoncashflowpro.com to get money management advice uh for free 
And then I've got a, for, if you'd like to sponsor the show, you can go to strpod.com slash sponsors and make a one-time or monthly donation of any amount. If you want to donate $2 a month, I would love that. Uh, I appreciate everybody for listening. We're going to end this with an acoustic song that my good buddy, Joey Helpish made just watching the news. He's such an, an eclectic, amazing artist that he basically has recorded 10 million songs. He picks up his guitar every, it's probably, it's part of his, his hands. And, and he, uh, he, I thought it was really beautiful. Normally I would play your music. So I, I want to give a shout out to you gradient and check out your, your music on Spotify and, and everywhere else. And the ambition album is the only one on there. That's actually my album. It's good. Um, stuff. There's, there's yeah. a few other gradients. Thanks. I'll We're let you introduce this song beautiful well. song that you love. The last thing I just want to say, shout out to radio shack. R.I.P. Yeah, dude, that just that's sad. Anyway, we're gonna get out of here. Thomas Huda, thank you very much. I can never say your name right. It's something that I'm close. Huda, Huda, Thomas Huda, you're always awesome. So we're gonna end this with a song. This is an acoustic song by Joey Helpish. They breach the capital today. Things didn't go their way. Patriotic angry scream. Okay.